Welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on lawrencehits.com. And it is January. It is January. We're going to survive this four years. That's all I'm going to say right now. Um, this is a time of year when there are things that sort of begin again in our community because so much of the scheduling is related to the university. And so that means there'll be more poetry readings, more art stuff, more music stuff, more people out and about because there's a little teeny lullish time before that stuff at schools around here is going again. I love that in our city and in our county, we have actually three very different universities. And the one that I hang out the most in is not the one where I got my degrees from, but it's Haskell Indian Nations University. I love that's here. I love that it brings people in from all over to be students there. I love that there are growing art scenes there. I love that there are fields that surround the campus um, and uh, wetlands that unfortunately got disrupted by highway construction, boo highway construction, but still lovely areas that are so peaceful to wander in, to walk in, to notice the changes with different plants. And, and I love looking at the different shapes, the smelling, you know, the earth smells differently when it's wet. The clouds in the Midwest are beautiful. It's just, it's to me part of, you know, getting a, a kind of dose of sanity is being outside um, and, and really looking at the beauty and experiencing it in, in all the senses that we can. Although as I qualify, I never eat something that's growing out there because I wouldn't know what was poison and what was okay. You know, I, I sent a, a picture one time to Daniel, who's the producer, and I knew what it was, but my, my joke was, oh, the corn dogs are ready for harvest. Well, that would be the cattails, of course. Anyway, I'm kind of a weirdo, that's the way it is. I wanted to say um, a very uh, thoughtful, serious um, shout out to two friends in Lawrence. For those people who have experienced much of the spoken word poetry scene in Lawrence, Kansas, um, you surely know this person who goes by her first two names, Jessica Elise. You've surely heard poet Topher Anakin shout out, what do you know about Jessica Elise? You surely know the lovely Macy Webb, poet partner of Jess. And here's the thing, if you haven't already heard, Jess's health is very seriously compromised. There is a crowdfunding campaign for health and living expenses for Jess and Macy. Um, I say that with tears coming to my eyes. And Anyway, the part I want to say is that um, there are plans in the works for a celebration with poetry, of course. So please follow on the Voice of Lawrence Poetry page on my personal Marcia Epstein page. I'll mention it on Talk With Me um, with other poet friends in this Lawrence, Kansas, Topeka, Kansas City area. Please, please, please be on the lookout both for the link to the, the crowdfunding campaign. If you can contribute, please do. You can share, please share so people who can contribute will. And please look for that gathering of poets in honor of the beautiful Jessica Elise. So I say this, it relates to my show because as you probably know, I believe that words save lives. I believe that stories and poems and music and dance and sculpture and art saves lives. And I am very thrilled to have as my guest today, somebody that I'm going to get to know through this hour, who is somebody who definitely uses his voice to promote advocacy, wellness, real life, how we get through it by being open about his own story. So I'm quite honored and thrilled to have as my guest, Rudy Caceres. Thank you. Oh, well, um, <laughs> you know, you know, I've always thought when I listen to podcasts that when they have the guest over the phone, always feeling shortchanged because I wish I could be there with you. But um, do you ever feel that way when they just call on the phone? Well, a lot of our of our shows are recorded by distance, which has, of course, the plus that I can talk to you in California and I can talk to Wolfgang Karstens in Alberta, Canada, and I can talk to Rob Plath in Brooklyn. You know, I can talk to people all over. But 
I will also say, oh, of course I miss having everybody in the room. And I've also heard people say, you know, I feel like we're sitting around your table together anyway. It's like, yeah, that's the way it should feel. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get into it. So Rudy, tell us just a little bit of just a, a little bit of background about you and then we'll, we'll launch into more conversation. Okay. Um, yes, Rudy Caceres. I'm 29 years old, living in San Pedro, Los Angeles, California, pretty much my entire life. Um, I did serve in the Army briefly in 2009. I actually had a mental breakdown there, and it took quite many years to actually get my life back together after that breakdown. Um, I was eventually diagnosed with bipolar. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I started working with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, trying to just find my way in the world again, to, um, start telling my story, um, presentation by presentation. So I first started around like late 2014 when I was involved with Active Minds, and I've probably given pretty much over 100 presentations since then so now i'm working for an organization called southern california against forced treatment so every time i try to talk to people about this they always for some reason think i'm involved with the uh church of scientology because uh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we'll we'll get into that. Um, and of, and of course, you found me online through Facebook, right? Through Desiree Stage and LiveThroughThis.org. I mean, Desiree is a mutual friend, and so I'm sure that that we connected through her feed at some point. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. God, I love Desiree, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. I know. I need. I need. I, I need to. I, I've met her in person once, and mm -hmm. she's she's amazing. So I'm hoping to meet her again soon. Um, so yeah, yeah, she's great. And uh, as you probably noticed, I'm very active on social media. That's uh -huh. just where I find my people because uh -huh. it's not, it's not easy connecting with other mental health advocates in, in LA. It's, we're, uh -huh. we're a rare breed, especially my age. Oh, interesting. I would think of LA as being such a big area that, it, that there would be more of a community there. Interesting. And it's a side note, but, but here's the thing one of the things that one of my my connections with the la area well honestly in addition to the fact that that's basically where i was born but that's a different story um is that um this model for doing support groups for people who are suicide attempt survivors is is kind of in some ways based in some work done at the dd hirsch center in the LA area, and they developed a manual um, based on their experiences doing these groups. And one of the things that surprised me that resonates with your saying, it's kind of hard to find those mental health advocates in your area, is that in this huge area of Los Angeles, similar to in my much smaller area of Lawrence, Kansas, when we do the support groups, we tend to only have about six or eight people in a group, you know, and I thought, man, in LA, I bet they're just overwhelmed with demand and people interested and, you know, how do they do this? How many groups they have going on at the time? I was really surprised to hear that it was a small number of participants each time. Um, but I also am of the belief that touching one person and helping them through their life makes it all worthwhile, you know, so it doesn't have to be millions of people it, it's good to be there with one-on-one -on -one too anyway yeah no i mean it's 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 a little hard with younger people my age i'm 29 so um it's not always the coolest thing to talk about mental health mm -hmm. but I, th I think we've gotten i think we've gotten better at it especially with organizations like active minds and nami on campus and uh -huh. just just trying to uh to normalize it, it doesn't have to be you have a disease or anything like that. Just people should just talk about their issues in a way that's non-judgmental. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as I was thinking specifically about doing this show with you is I personally have a hang up about the, the labels, the words of mental health and mental illness. And I'm not saying that I'm right about that, that people shouldn't use that language. And, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, well, you know, back in the day, nobody would ever refer to somebody as queer. And now 
you know, referring to the queer community is not a pejorative. That word has been reclaimed, you know, but, but the mental health, mental illness ones, I think for me, part of it is that for me very personally, and, and I, I'm of course going to invite you to, to speak about how you see those labels. Um, for me personally, because of my own experiences with childhood abuse, childhood sexual abuse, I'll say that, um, I resent being considered possibly mentally ill because I had to deal with that experience. I resent that people who do have PTSD, that that becomes this mental health label. And I guess that says I've bought into the stigma in some way. I don't know. It's just that I'd like to have big labels on people who do mean stuff, not people who have some mental health challenges. Anyway, so how about you? What do you think about that language of, of mental health, mental illness? Yeah, I go back and forth because I do have friends where it's like, call me mentally ill. I don't care. Call me OCD. Call me bipolar. Uh-huh. That's just my thing. Whereas uh-huh. others, like on the far end extreme, don't want to even use the words mental health at all. So uh-huh. uh, I, I'm, I'm still struggling with that. Like I've had no problem saying I have bipolar disorder order and now Uh i'm starting to lean with saying i have bipolar it's it's a major issue a lot of days suck but it's not something i want to use as a crutch to keep me from doing all the things that i want to do in life Uh uh-huh i like that you know and, and i respect people people have the right to to use the words that are right for them and i get that um people who don't have the experience need to be sensitive to what is the right language for the people that they know who do have the challenge or you know whatever you want to call it so you know there's that respectful thing and and language that i guess that's just something that interests me too i i i see different ways words are used different places and it's it's interesting and sometimes kind of confusing like i don't want to be offensive so what do i say but I think for, for listeners, you know, one thing we've known for a long time is that it, it's really helpful to recognize that people are people first. People, we have multiple different interests, talents, challenges, experiences. We don't go with one label that defines us. And so it really is a lot more respectful to say that, you know, this this is a person who's a friend of mine who has who has bipolar than to say, this is my bipolar friend, you know. Uh, even like working on, I, I was at Headquarters Counseling Center as the director for a very long time and and did a huge amount of crisis in person and, and over the phone work. And, and I can remember people who would say, hi, I'm schizophrenic or whatever. And I'm like, Ew. you know, I mean, my, I would kind of cringe that, that they had bought into that label because it had been used on them so many times that, that instead of saying, hi, I'm Evan, it's like, Hi, I'm schizophrenic. It's like, oh, well, gee, uh, my name's Marsha. What's your name? <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, lecture yeah. of the day. And it, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I used to I get told all the time that you're not your diagnosis, yeah. and I get the meaning behind that. But in many ways, if I didn't, if I wasn't so open about my bipolar and didn't talk about it all the time, then I wouldn't get the opportunities. I probably wouldn't be on this show at all. I'd probably just be laying on my ass every day. So. <laughs> well, and the beauty to me is that when you can say, I'm Rudy and I have bipolar and I do this and this and this, you know, then again, somebody else could go, oh man, I would never tell somebody that. Well, maybe I should tell somebody that. Maybe it's not so shameful that I have this, you know, it's like it, there's so many times when the words that we speak out loud, when they're in public in whatever way, you know, a presentation, a blog that's available, the the video blogging that you do, the different things that, that put us in front of people, allow somebody else to go, oh man, I am not alone. Yeah. It's huge. And one of the struggles right now is being able to talk about bipolar without sounding bipolar. So it's like if, if, I, if, I, if I sound a little too passionate or aggressive and people think I'm, ma- I'm manic, 
Um, and if I, if I seem like I'm talking more about serious stuff or that people think I'm depressed, it's, and it's no, it's uh, <laughs> like, yeah, there are times when I'm really depressed and there are times when I'm manic, but I, I'd rather be a person who makes that judgment call than someone just reading my Facebook posts. Yeah, you know, it's that thing of, you know, are you looking at me as a cluster of symptoms or are you really listening to me and paying attention to me? And yeah, I'm a real person and sometimes shit happens and I'm pissed off and sometimes shit happens and I'm sad. And that doesn't mean I'm in a depressive cycle. It means something sad happened and I feel it and that's the way life really is, you know? we need to we need to remember that people are that and that's to me where it's like you're not just a diagnosis you're a person you know you're living in the world you're doing things and you're affected by things and they're not all just internal things there are situations that other people will be affected by too <laughs> yes um i, I want to ask your uh you on your opinion on the the word mental health differences because i've heard this from several people as what they identify as don't want to be called mentally ill or have mental health issues. So I wanted to know yeah. what, what your thoughts on that term was. Uh, personally, I, I probably have not heard that phrase as much. And, and I know that I tend to say mental health challenges when that's the way I perceive it as it's a challenge, not, not um, necessarily an easy thing. And as I say that, I am also so aware that my way of looking at the world is that, not that I adore every challenge that's come my way, because I don't, but I do understand that there is opportunity with challenge, you know? So, so I don't have a good, I don't have an easy answer to, you know, mental health differences. And I don't have, and I, you know, so this is to me with, with the language related to mental health whatever we want to call it, you know, because where I'm headed is we don't have common meaning for a lot of the different expressions. And so, you know, how do we say things? I, I don't know. Um, and sometimes we just do our best and, and again, respect the people that we're talking with and the language that they use. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty open. Like people sometimes ask me um, what I want to be called. And I just say like freak or <laughs> Carnival sideshow. <laughs> and then you've gotten their attention. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Yeah. So I, I love I I love it that you laugh at that. So I, I that makes me feel more open to making more dark humor jokes. Yeah, I I think and I and I say this. I even created a little little turtle meme because turtles kind of look like hand grenades, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> a certain kind of shell turtle. That that and I but I believe this I, I, that that laughter is so important and that without laughter we explode and that's just not pretty. <laughs> so what I think I don't know. Yeah, because so <laughs> the thing about mental health differences, at least in my view, is that yeah everyone has challenges but the fact that you see the world in a different way and that's rejected by society mm -hmm. and you're labeled by society as yeah. ill yeah. um so that's 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 what i get from it i mean i'm always constantly bouncing back and forth i i'm not a fan of buzzwords so i just always try to I don't know. It's it's hard because like we all have a common vernacular such as stigma and uh, mental health advocacy, but it's just I don't want to always like be just part of the crowd and just saying what everyone else is saying without doing yeah. my own insight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's also notable, and and I'm sure you'll talk about the group that you mentioned, um, Southern California Against Forced Treatment. I have a friend here in the Kansas City area, uh, Grana West, who is very much a self-advocate and advocate and is a challenger of the traditional mental health um, treatment models. And and she's powerful and, and I know there's there are national networks and I couldn't quote them at the you know at this moment of really sharing information about other ways of looking at people's experiences, you know, that are respectful and, and looking at the unique gifts people may have, as well as that sometimes, yeah, there are challenging times more so than for somebody else perhaps. But, you know, it's it's an important thing. And I think about for people who like want to get some taste of this, 
one of the books I read that really had, I thought, a lot to share about the different ways cultures, cultures look at depression, for example, is Andrew Solomon's book, The Noonday Demons, because it's like he traveled the world and he experienced in different cultures how they responded to people who in this Western culture might be called mentally ill and how they help people through those times. And, and one of the things that, one of the stories that he shares in there that really just to me kind of sums it up is he was talking about, and I apologize, it's, it's been long enough ago that I don't remember the country that he was in. And I'm gonna say, you know, honestly, I don't remember if it was a South American country or an African country, but there was the way of dealing with, the way of helping a person who was struggling with some kind of what might look like depression or mental illness to in Western eyes um, were rituals that involved dance and animals and body painting. And so this, this ceremony that happens in, in the midst of people, you know, and it's something that is very foreign to, you know, the Western way of, you know, what you do. And he pointed out that the idea of sitting in a relatively dark room with a stranger and talking is as ludicrous to that culture as we are challenged by the idea that dancing with body paint and goats might be healing to somebody, you know? And that, that's an important thing is that, that we have become accustomed, I think, a lot of us to a very traditional Western model of what's help. You know, and that isn't necessarily the right help or the only help by any means. Yes. One of my favorite quotes is, birds born in a cage think flying is an illness. So, uh, and I, 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 first off, I want to say, uh, if you're listening, hello, Karina. Um, so I, have, I have a story about her, and I'm, I quite, this, wow. is kind of this is kind of embarrassing. This is kind of embarrassing. This is kind of embarrassing to her, but okay. So, oh. so, 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 Karina reached out to me uh, in the middle of nowhere and say, like, "Hey, can I call you? I'm in the middle of some conference training." And I was like, well, who, who is this? Uh -huh. I was like, I, I didn't know if I was going to call because I know I knew like her work, and I wasn't sure if I was if I was being set up and like they're all going to jump on me because I was known as the Nami guy and like pro medical model yeah. and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so but she was really cool. She was very nice uh, and very respectful. So she's 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 a good person. She's a very good person, and she has a lot of fight in her and that's unfortunately a lot of what she she has to do is she has, she challenges people which is beautiful and wonderful you know and huge shout out also because she has this so cool project called poetry for personal power which is awesome you know using spoken word poetry and the teaching of poetry as a way of literally giving people voice to to share their experiences and i love that um so way, way huge amounts of respect for Karina West. Yes. Interesting that she connected with you. Cool. So when you are doing the kinds of talks that you do, I'm wondering if you have certain kinds of messages that are the ones that you really try to make sure people hear um, in recent talks, because I know that changes over time. What are, what are some of the things that are really important to you for people to get? Yeah, and I like that it changes. Um, I used to do theater, so obviously you have to follow the script every time, but one of the things I like about public speaking uh, is that I don't have a script, and so I always feel so free to, to change it up based on the audience, talk about different things, especially if I have 10 minutes or an hour, obviously uh, I have to fit into different times. But mm -hmm. uh, I think the main message I try to get across is that bipolar sucks. Uh, there are days where it just does not happen at all. I mean, physically or emotionally getting out of bed. Um, mm. But it's, like I said, in a way it is, It is. I, I don't want to call it a gift or anything like that. I don't believe that. But just the fact that uh, if I didn't, if I, if, I, if I didn't have bipolar and if I wasn't open about it, I wouldn't be doing all these amazing things that I am now because when mm -hmm. I was just when I was just an actor, like I wasn't going to go anywhere. That was one of the main reasons I went into the army was because I had nothing going for me there. Um, so, yeah. So even though bipolar sucks, I still uh, I've gotten to the point where it's not the end of the world anymore where I can have days 
uh, where it's just awful. Um, but I still want to keep sharing my story. The more I share, uh, the better off I am. Mm -hmm. How did you recognize that whoever came up with that diagnosis for you was not only right, but that it was helpful to have that diagnosis for you? You, you know what the weird thing is, is that I actually uh, came to that own conclusion without even having my first real manic episode. I had, I thought I had manic-like symptoms at times, um, but it was, it was definitely I had like a full-blown manic episode where I, it was the kind where I didn't even want to admit that I had a problem. For me, I was cured of a depression. So anyone, anytime anyone would try to like calm me down or say I might be having mania, uh, I was like, no, like you're, the, you're the one who's sick. You're the one who doesn't understand. You're trying to hold me back. You're, you're, you're why people are not happy in this world because people aren't free to be themselves and realize their potential. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, is that I crashed, which is mm -hmm. want to happen with mania. Um, and that's when I basically came running back to my therapist and psychiatrist and saying, just please make the hurt stop. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's what I got the diagnosis. And that was in December of 2014, like right around the same time I started coming out publicly. Okay. Did you have previous treatment and different diagnoses before then? Like, did it take a while? to know for sure that really is what it is, and that gives us some guidance in how to help you manage it. Yeah, I mean, I've always dealt with mental health issues my entire life. I mean, I've pretty much been seeing some kind of therapist since I was a little kid. So, and when I went into the army, uh, I was hoping it wouldn't be an issue because for me, that was my one hope to break out of this rut and make something of myself. And then it got to be too much. I had a catatonic episode basically just completely froze up in the dining facility it had to be carted off get carried right out of my table onto the emergency room into the stretcher mm -hmm. into the emergency room um and then i was diagnosed with schizophrenia mm -hmm. um okay. yeah so which is always fun to try to explain to people um and getting told that well if you're schizophrenic you wouldn't know it <laughs> so uh that, and I had that for a while. I mean, I was I was taking antipsychotics, and I did have several other catatonic episodes, um, and hospitalized, uh, forcibly hospitalized. So, but now uh, I, I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar in 2014. But I've always always dealt with some issues. So you're saying that, you know, it's a long-term thing for you. You said therapy even as a kid. But but what you just said about how initially you were diagnosed with something that is not what is your real experience. I, I was wondering, because I think that is unfortunately so common, that, that people get labeled with something and get treated with medications for something. And in the case of schizophrenia, if that's the diagnosis in some places, then really the main treatment is medical, not not talk therapy. And so then it takes a while to, to unravel the wrong diagnoses and get to something that is helpful. And so that's that's to me as as somebody who I mean, I'm a social worker with you know, that's that's my I'm in the mental health part of social work. So I'm I have a lot of trouble with diagnoses because I see so many times when they clearly aren't accurate for, you know, maybe there was a point in time when that was what was going on for somebody. Maybe that was never right. Maybe a lot of times the way people experience things looks like, well, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's PTSD, maybe it's schizophrenia, maybe it's depression that's gotten to this point. Maybe, you know, it's like, and, and so, if diagnosis is used to guide treatment, but the diagnosis is wrong, we're not doing anybody any favors. So I'm, I'm always asking people to tell me, you know, what's your experience? You know, what, what is going on in your life? How are you feeling? How are you thinking? What are you doing? Not, 
you know, what diagnosis do we think you have? So I'm, I'm kind of a weirdo, though. I said that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, the, what the therapist I love the most, like we, she was, was upfront that I don't diagnose. We don't, we, we don't have to use, we don't have to use bipolar or DSM terms. My understanding, though, is that up until DSM-4, that if you had catatonic episodes, that you were automatically diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, so that might have been the reason why. I mean, I have I've had times, especially in the manic times, where I have seen things and heard things that weren't there. But um, I, I still like I I, I still I, yeah, like 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 pretty much everyone I've talked to. It's it's really hard to put someone in a box of bipolar or schizophrenia. Yeah. So, yeah. but I I identify with bipolar mm -hmm. the most. That doesn't mean I have other issues. Like I, I can have really bad uh anxiety issues especially uh social anxiety issues i often say that the people i love the most are the people who hate people what <laughs> yeah um that's that's a that's a real introvert thing is that i mean obviously like we're, we're not like just passionate hate everyone but we just like to just like be I, I like to be one on one. I could talk to someone. I could probably talk to you for hours, but when I'm around a group, I just like shrink up and just go to a corner and just don't want to talk to anyone because it's just I always feel so awkward and just like I have no idea what to say. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's just me. I know I know I know there are people who probably think I'm an asshole, so introverts get a bad rap. <laughs> And so, you know, part of what you're saying is, you know, that that judgment, well, this person doesn't want to talk to me, he must think he's better than I am, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But the other thing, you know, you, I think, I think a lot of people are unsure and uncomfortable in, in situations where we're part of like a crowd of people and we don't have a really designated role. And, you know, yeah, we could, we can interact with people, but it's that's that's very different than like you're saying talking one-on-one -on -one, which is a version of that i think is giving a presentation because you become the one you're the pres presenter to the audience and you're not having to interact with all those people individually as kind of one of the many you're you've got a role and so i think it's i i guess i'm what i'm wanting to say to our listeners is that if you have some anxiety about social situations you know, that's that's not uncommon and there are ways of figuring out what is right for you. You know, maybe you just don't do big things, you know, big crowd things where you're not going to know a lot of people. You know, maybe you, you participate in things where you have a few people and you kind of create your, your small part of that big thing. You know, there, there are lots of different possibilities. In our um, suicide attempt survivors group, when we talk about emotion, one one time somebody was talking about how she feels guilty about freaking everything, you know. And and another friend who's an artist, like I've got so much anxiety, you know. And it's like, well, does it work to just say I have so much anxiety and I'm going out to do this thing I want to do, you know? Can it can it be like that, you know? And even like on the physical, I know I've seen um, photos of you on Facebook, and you'll have to describe this stuffed creature thing. Um, and what it's about, but I found an artist around here who does these things called monstrosities, these um, created, uh, for lack of a better term, just to, I'll say they're stuffed animals, except they aren't animals, they are stuffed, they are made of fabric, they have faces, they are these monstrosities, she calls them, and I wanted them for, for group, it's like, I want to have these so like if somebody's feeling anxious they can go this you know this is what i'm feeling and i can hang on to my anxiety and i'm a good person but i have this anxiety too you know and i was talking to the artist and i said this is this is why i want to get some of these i want them for this experience that i share with people and she said i create them because of my anxiety this is one of the things that helps me. It's like, this is so perfect and beautiful. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on about, you know, we can do things sometimes that surprise us. We can acknowledge, we don't have to shove the anxiety, you know, but sometimes even holding on to the anxiety, we can still get some things done, do some things, experience some things that we want to. Yeah, I mean, because oftentimes people think, 
that you you're using your anxiety as excuse to not do things that other people like doing mm -hmm. so it's it's really hard to try to explain that it's like i wish i could do these things i mm -hmm. wish i can walk into a party and be the center of attention and be able to talk to everyone and that's just something i've tried so hard like in, in high school i used to feel so isolated because I couldn't go into a group and say anything really, anything that mm -hmm. anyone would like to hear. So mm -hmm. I just always struggled with that in school. And it wasn't until I got involved with theater where everyone's awkward basically um, and just found that. And then now in the mental health world, um, and maybe it's because it's online where I noticed a lot of people in the mental health world have harder times making um, friends offline or even talking on the phone. I've always, I've always, under, uh, do you see that as a big issue, uh, especially with people my age of not wanting to talk on the phone at all? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing for me because I come through this, you know, long, long experience where crisis hotlines, you know, we were part, you know, that, that was, that was looked at as an accessibility thing. And then, you know, I'm going to say, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, it's like, you know what? A lot of people would much rather text than talk. You know, the keyboard is more comfortable. And and so I, I felt like I became sort of a, a bit of a rebel because when I talk to people about, you know, like crisis supports, I mentioned crisis text line number one. And I mentioned, you know, my, my list is crisis text line, Trevor Project, Trans Lifeline, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and and I and I let people know that you know like, trans trans lifeline is phone only. Trevor has online chat and text, and crisis text line is text. You know, so it's like, find the place. Honestly, I don't like to talk on the phone either. <laughs> <laughs> I like to get with people in person, but I don't like to have long phone calls, you know, and in fact, I will refuse to have a long phone call with somebody who's, who's a friend who's in my same community. It's like, I will get together with you, but I will not spend an hour because that's what it'll turn into on the phone when we live, you know, 15 minutes apart. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I think, I think whatever, whatever is the right way for you. And I, and I want to clarify, we do need to take a break, but I want to clarify when I was talking about, you know, doing that thing with the anxiety, with the guilt, with the whatever, I'm not saying I think everybody can do everything. I'm just no, saying that agree. want to do something. Sometimes you can do it and sometimes you can't, but sometimes you can do it even acknowledging that I feel anxious, but this is important for me to do. And, and so I, I think we have to be respectful of what people say when they say, I can't do this today. I can't. All I can do today is stay on my bed. That is all I can do. You know, and it's like, well, you know what? Staying safe by staying on your bed is a huge accomplishment. So, well, well I got out of bed for you. <laughs> all right. You could be in bed for all we know. Anyway, we need to take a quick break. <laughs> Hear from a couple of the Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com, and then we will be right back for more with today's guest, Rudy Caceres. Welcome back to Talk With Me and today's guest, Rudy Caceres. And we just had a little break. And if you listen to this show, you might have noticed something different. So today, instead of this happening before the break, this happens after the break. Daniel Smith, I adore you. Thank you for producing this show. <laughs> I am so appreciative that we get to do this. So, hey, Rudy, let's talk about, again, some of the things you want to make sure people get. You know, what are some of the things maybe that, that have been comforting for people in audiences to you have said, man, when you said this, that meant so much to me, you know, are there, are there some kind of highlights and things that you're talking about recently? Um, yeah. First I want to say is that I always love um, podcast commercials, especially when the, uh, the host is, is doing the pitch. Um, do you ever, do you, have, do you have any of those sponsors that do the crates, the, the boxes with all the goodies? Um, our sponsors, LawrenceHits.com is sponsored by small local businesses in Lawrence, Kansas. Not necessarily small, but local businesses. So, so we don't have some of the ones you hear like on NPR podcasts and that kind of stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, no, these you know you know these crates I'm talking about, right? Right? No, I don't. They have they have one, they have Nature Box that has like all of the health foods, and they have one. It, I think there's one that has like a bunch of supplements in it. So just, huh, and you get like the promo code. You get to oh, try yeah. it out. They yeah, got the no. they got the underwear one. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I've heard that too. <laughs> yeah. So. Get on, get on that. That's where the big money is. Those monthly subscriptions to different products. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, well, yeah. You can have a you can have a therapy crate. So you get like a new therapist every month. I love it. I'd be more inclined to poetry. I'm, I'm very much a, fa a fan of, of poetry that translates well as spoken word, um, yeah. but also very much a fan of poetry that's very brief and kind of in your face my 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 poetry idol is is wolfgang karstens who has a small press called epic rights press um and he's the one who's he's near um, edmonton and alberta canada and 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 his work and the poets that he publishes are all about live fully because you never know when you're gonna die you know and i love that message and it comes in all kinds of different flavors anyway back to you and your messages <laughs> I, I do i do want to say um that i i was i felt so bad like when you first invited me and you talked about how you have all these poets on and it's like oh i'm just some guy and everything so i actually uh did write something all right do you want to share it you don't have to but you can <laughs> oh of course i wouldn't have mentioned it um all right yeah, because I actually, I actually wrote this for This Is My Brave. Um, and, and tell people about what This Is My Brave is, because I was going to ask you, because you just performed a couple days ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't work for them, but I had the chance okay. to uh, audition um, a few months ago. It was actually, I was at the uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention Walk in Pasadena and had the audition uh, in somebody's garage like several hours later. So I had all this time and I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And I was just so worried because, you know, I, I do auditions before and I've always done bad at them. So uh, I was I was really scared that I didn't have anything. So I went to this pizza place around the corner and just typed this whole thing out um, and did it that same day. And I was so glad that I got cast. And basically what I performed the other day was was almost exactly what I wrote that day. Uh -huh. um, so, and I wanted to do that because when I do all of the speeches and everything, it's, uh, you, you get to the point where it's, it's by rotes and it's the same story over and over again. And I often say that the thing that separates me from other speakers is that I have this, uh, theater background. So uh -huh. I can take elements from that. I can, I can make it more like a performance, but it's not as much of a performance as I want it to be for, I mean, for obvious reasons. I'm not going to put on a character or anything like that or do voices. Um, so I, I wrote this and uh, I'm not going to act it out or anything. This isn't um, Night Vale or anything. So um, I will try to do this justice and sorry, it doesn't rhyme. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a requirement for your show. No, almost never rhymes. <laughs> okay. okay, good. I don't want to do some nursery rhyme thing. Unless you're Dr. Seuss. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. You need to get him on the show. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay, this is, you weren't expecting this, so this is nice to have no. surprises. All right. Okay, all right. Passion, I remember you, vaguely. Let me explain passion. It is urgency, it is overwhelming, it is love so intense, so intense that you will never understand, certainly not you. It is also screaming at your therapist for even mentioning the M word, mania. It is also harassing property owners because you have the perfect business idea. If you just gave me your money right now, why are you debating me? It is also telling random people on the streets that you can fly and that it is you who must lead society towards a revival of the book of Acts. I loved it. I needed it. And then the bottom falls out. Damn you, I miss passion. And then I woke up on a Friday morning and passion had returned. Let's run to the beach to catch our sunrise. Don't tell me it'll rise in the opposite direction. You know who I am, right? 
Let's charge imaginary dollars on the breakfast I told you I deserve. Consequences are for them. Get on my level, girl I just met. Let me drive you to your breast enlargement appointment. I know a secret passage. Why are you yelling? I'm sick of you. Walk your ass home. You'll forgive me. Who cares? God, I feel like speeding. Everyone else move. Why aren't you moving? You are too stupid to understand passion. You realize I can't slow down. You know that, right? That smell. Fire. Don't you dare risk extinguishing the fire that burns inside. Yes, you. That sunset of the flames can't do justice to what is surging throughout me. You can't take it away this time. Keep your distance. I demand space. I am space. I am a god. Or maybe... I'm nothing at all. Well, this feels faintly familiar. This time the bottom falls out, but you see my wings, right? Right? Why is it so dark? Passion. <laughs> Please, you can't. I trusted you, but you don't care. You never did. You can only torture. And I will fall for it every single time. Because when I'm with you, and only you, it all comes together. Or maybe, Saturday, passion you left. Passion, I should hate you. Passion, I'll be counting the days. And that's it. Wow. And did you say that was your audition piece? Yeah, and that's what I performed uh -huh. uh, the other night. So uh, yeah, that was- Powerful. I know, and I and it was it was good because no one else did anything like that. So I was glad mm -hmm. I did something that mm -hmm. separated. And I was like, I was in, I was on the stage, and I was thinking like, oh, like is this gonna be weird? Because like everyone is like is doing speeches or and stuff, and um, I'm like, I didn't want people. I wasn't I wasn't sure if people thought I was doing like a stand up monologue or I was supposed mm -hmm. to be too serious, where people didn't know whether to laugh or not. So I'm glad I got a lot of good feedback afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, it's a really powerful piece. I mean, uh, I mean, you, you, sh you, your words, your the stories in there, tell people what that mania is like. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. One of the things that I had to add that I was told to add. I mean, not forced to, but is to put the word mania in mm -hmm. because I just wanted to say the M word because, yeah. like I said, I didn't want it to be. Uh, oh, he's talking about a mental illness. He's talking about bipolar. Let's put him in that box. Mm -hmm. uh, he's obviously like lacks insight and he's ill. I wanted to try to explain it from the perspective of someone going through it. It's like, mm -hmm. no, like yeah. this, <laughs> like this all makes sense to me. And the reason why it doesn't make sense to you is because you're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I relate to it when I think about a couple of, of people and, they're very different examples, but but I mean the idea of you know what's illness and what's a person's way and how are people seeing themselves and how other people see you all that kind of stuff. I remember working with a young guy who had a diagnosis of an attention disorder, but he was really fearful of using medication because his he was a student at the university, but he was also somebody who was pursuing a career in stand-up comedy. He's like. I can't be funny on medication. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't have to take medication all the time. You know, that's one of the one of the beauties with an attention disorder is, of course, uh, you really don't have to um, rein it in all the time. Only if it's interfering with the things that you need to do. So that one's okay. But I think about a, a much more poignant experience where I had a, one of my closest friends through high school um, didn't go to college right away, and I remember. Um, I, I wasn't where I went to high school and then coming here to Lawrence for college was only about an hour apart. So I remember the first time that I met her for, we went out for coffee at a kind of place where we would go um, in high school and I met her there in Kansas city and we sat down to talk and, and she started talking. I mean, and it was like, this isn't making any sense to me she was talking to me about numbers and about how this person was controlling her and all this stuff. And she clearly believed everything she was saying to me, but it was nothing like I'd ever experienced with her. And it really didn't sound <clears throat> very reality-based to me, you know? And it's like, 
I mean, there, there's a point when it's like, it's not reality based, you know, this thing she's saying about numbers and this person who I know and how he's like her puppeteer and, you know, kind of like, this is scary. And, you know, what do I do? And I remember, you know, so I'm like 17 years old or 18 years old, whatever. And, 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 you know, I don't really know how to, what to do, but, but at that point, um, one thing that is more common now then than was now is that I had a way to reach her parents who she lived with, you know, so I could call and say, you know, I haven't seen Diane in a while. And now I, I just had this experience with her and I'm really worried about her. And I'm wondering, you know, are you guys helping her get some help in some ways? Cause I mean, this isn't the person that I knew you know, and so so the serendipity was I, I knew how to reach a support person for her, but it was a long journey for her. And she ultimately um, took many years, ultimately was diagnosed with PTSD um, as opposed to, you know, some kind of, you know, thought disorder that, you know, and 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 her life really changed a lot when she was getting some help that really made a difference and she was happy and it was so cool to hear from her, you know, like, you know, it, yeah, I went through a really long rough spot and, and there were hospital times and different things, but I'm on the other side of it now. It's like, yes, 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 yes. And I think we, we have to, to be willing to talk to each other. You know, I guess that was part of my experience. And one of my reminders there is that, when we see big changes in people we care about, we can ask them first how they are. You know, we can try to talk to them. And if they're really so disconnected that maybe they aren't able to make very good choices, you know, sometimes we can help mobilize support people that also know them and try to get some help. Uh, yeah, I was, I was talking to a friend who manages a crisis line who told me that they they're not the reality police so they get a lot of calls uh where they the, pe the people calling just make claims that are just completely out there but if you're if you're talking to someone on the other end um you're not just gonna say oh yeah you're, you're that's fake like you're sick right. like so they're yeah so it's it's really hard and i often say that uh with with depression uh there are there are reasons to be depressed in this world that yeah. society society is sick and that i don't understand why everyone isn't depressed um yeah. and with mania for me it's been about trying to overcome that and and trying to convince myself that i'm above that i have some secret knowledge uh like like i like the matrix or something i think that i i, I think like i can see what other people can't see everyone is in their own bubble and box and doesn't want to see the world for really it is um and me where i'm this great person i'm going to lead the world and parts of that uh I, I, I don't want to completely discount because I do want to make a difference in the world. I never yeah. want to, I never want to accept the status quo and just believe everything that's told me and not challenge anything. So what I've, what I've championed is that at least for me is that uh, to avoid the extremes of depression and mania. And if I, if I ever do write a book, uh, it's going to be called working the polls, the Rudy Caceres story. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't, you, don't can, get... you can have a stripper pull on the front. Yes. Of it just yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you got that. Cause I've, I, there's, yeah, I'm glad you got that. I don't know why you got that, but. Cause I'm a weirdo. I told you that at the beginning. Of the <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was either that it was either that or the grandeur of delusions uh-huh <laughs> so i'm still and working on it yeah and i think i do think we have to laugh about it but i also i also think it's it's such a it's such a challenging thing to to be able i mean one i think we need to to talk to people honestly and and again like i said when it's when it's a friend or even i mean i i directed a crisis line for a long time and i like i said i answered a lot of calls and i think out of compassion sometimes i might say to somebody 
you know, I, I feel concerned about some of the things that you're saying, and I just want to be able to ask you a little bit more about that, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't believe that there's any benefit in telling somebody that they're, they're, you know, delusional. I don't think that, you can't hear that. You can't do anything with that. No, I'm, of course I'm not. This is what's going on, you know? But but I think we, we need to be compassionate and invite people to, to tell us more about what's going on and to see if they're able to be safe, you know, whether it's a friend or whether it's, you know, some person I'm talking to in the street in downtown Lawrence, you know, if I'm, if, if this person looks like they, they are particularly vulnerable, you know, it's like, well, is there something that we can do collaboratively, not to them, but collaboratively to help them be in a safer place? You know, I, I, and I, and I think it's hard because I, you know, you, you started out identifying that your work, uh, um, which is related to um, sort of challenging the traditional mental health treatment system. And I think that's really important. I also think that, that sometimes, again, people need some help from their friends, you know, to, to know that, you know, what you're doing isn't okay. You know, when you're maxing out these credit cards after credit cards, because you're buying all this stuff and wearing all this makeup and, you know, just, you know, doing stuff that, that costs a lot of money that you don't have and you don't see that as a problem. That kind of is a problem, you know? How did you know this part about me? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't like to talk about that part of me. Exactly. You know, because, Stuff happens, and and that's you know, and, and you know, of course, I'm pulling on my experience with my friends. You know that the the, the young woman, that, well, the woman that I talked to that I'd known for so long, is like, this isn't this isn't how you used to make decisions, and you know, you you didn't put yourself in jeopardy of you know, and I don't really know what happens when people mix up credit cards. I mean, at some point, you know, people want your money that you don't have, but I mean, it's like it makes life hard if if. Um, you know, you're, you're doing stuff that's not healthy and it's because you can't recognize it at that point. And I'm not opposed to forcing people into treatment. I mean, I'm not for forcing into treatment. I'm not much of a fan of what hospital really means for people, you yeah. know, but I am about people staying safe. You know, the kind of thing I say to somebody is, you know, you got to stick around long enough for us to figure out together some things that help you get back to a life that you really enjoy. Um, and I think we can do that, but we, but you have to make the commitment to stick around, you know, and I, and I'm not saying that you have to promise that you'll never self harm or have a suicidal thought or, you know, even maybe attempt suicide, but you gotta, you know, you gotta at least start this with the idea that I'm going to do my best to learn some new ways because I do want to live if I can live in a good way. Wow. Um, I need to shut up. <laughs> And Rudy, I want to give you a chance to say just a few more things. We're, we're basically at the end of this hour, but what are some of the things you hope that people really get out of hearing you when you talk, when you, this radio show, you know, what are some of your wishes for people? Um, well, I mean, basically what you said um, about people getting help and a lot of times with people that are against forced psychiatric treatment think that we don't want uh, people to get help. It's just, um, I, I personally, I just want it to, be more humane and it's it's the thing about like giving my presentations when I'm telling my story and it's it can be people pat me on the head say I'm so inspirational um it's like good for you for taking your meds and doing the right thing getting your life together um try to talk about forced hospitalization and all of a sudden uh, the the phone calls stop coming um people people unfriend me and it's it's very hard to talk about because you're speaking against something um that people uh, think is a great thing. And so I try to reframe that. Like, I don't want people, like I said, to think I'm the Scientologist. You don't have to be that radical to, <laughs> to be against human rights abuse. Right. So, so I try to, I try to bring some balance on that because I'm, uh, there, there are definitely some radical members in my movement and, and God bless them, do whatever they, they want, but I really try to to bridge that gap. So I have no problem talking about my my bipolar and that I take meds and but I try to make sure that everything I'm doing is creating progress. So just because the mental health care system is the way it is and 
people accept it doesn't mean that it can't be better. It can't continue to be better. So that's my main goal going forth is that I may not always have the sexiest presentation to give, but it's always something I'll be passionate about. It's always something that I will, I will never feel fake giving. Uh That's beautiful. Well, Rudy, thank you so much for joining me today. And I know for listeners, it's such a gift to hear somebody be real about their own experiences and to know that, you know, if that's, you know, some of the things that that you spoke about, somebody recognizes in themselves or somebody they care about, that there's no shame about that, you know? It's like we all want to have good lives. We all deserve good lives. And sometimes it takes some new coping skills. Sometimes it's a combination of some new coping skills and some talk therapy, sometimes medication as part of it. You know, sometimes it is just coping skills. Not that those are easy. I don't want to minimize by saying just, but it's like finding, finding the right path to, to a really good life where you are using your talents, connecting with people, feeling value, you know, knowing that you belong laughing at times, crying at times when something sad happens, you know, that's, that's what I hope for people is, is a rich life that they are glad that they're living, you know? And, yes. and I think most of us have that opportunity to get there. Um, even at times when we struggle that, that, um, sometimes we, we have some new things we learn and new things we do and we get through that. And really, I think that's, that's the great example that you're setting for people, um, you can say, I don't like being in a crowd. I don't like that big social stuff, but, but I'm willing to share my story to a crowd because it, it may be helpful to somebody as well as helpful to you to, to own it. Yes. So speaking, again, speaking of social, follow me yeah. on social media at Rudy yeah. Caceres. Find me on Facebook. Um, so um, basically, thank you um, so much uh, for having me on. I'm, 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 I'm really glad. I mean, this was this was a really great interview. So I really appreciate um, what you're doing for me. It's, it's a big opportunity for me. Thanks. Thanks to our listeners. And we're going to say so long and keep listening to talk with me, different episodes. You never know what you'll hear. (laughs) Bye.